Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, April 30th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Dukmasova, will join us. We welcome Green Party voter and firefighter, Sam Holloway, and its political talk host, Doris Davenport. your host maybe a green party voter definitely not a firefighter and a political talk host (laughs) chicago reader columnist ben jarofsky hello everybody ben jarofsky here we're calling this it's maya's fault tuesday and here's why great weekend you have a good weekend d yeah two days ago it was fantastic (laughs) we're in the middle of the week ben oh yeah my weekend yeah it just lingers with me the greatness of it i'll watch the movie the wood came out in 1999 finally got around to seeing a good movie by the way we gotta get a uh, monday show so you can talk about these weekends proper oh let's see what else wait the wood that's an old movie i I remember that movie yeah i told you 1999 i finally got around to watch you know what i may have seen it in 1999 it did look vaguely familiar anyway it's about marriage uh, yes, that's correct. It's Well, it's also about friends. There's these three friends, and one's getting married, and he has reluctance, and the other two drag him back to his wedding, and while they're dragging him back, they reflect on their life together. Good flick. I recommend it to absolutely everybody. Uh, whoops, dropped my pen there. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, I saw several episodes of Trailer Park Boys, all right? All right. You watched the show? Or just the clips no, on YouTube? just the clips on YouTube. Okay. Man, I still haven't seen a show. Uh, I read a great novel, American Spy. Wonderful book I urge uh, everybody to read. It's sort of like Ralph Ellison meets John Le Carrier. 
and then folks woke up (laughs) woke up and uh, got back to reality d oh yeah woke up to read the latest republican call to arms it came in the form of an essay in sunday's new york times by a woman named helen andrews she's the managing editor of the washington examiner magazine which apparently is a, a right of center magazine anyway follow me on this folks the central point of this essay is that uh, women are responsible for social inequity. All right, let me back up a little bit. Social inequity is a big problem in this country today. The gap between the riches of the rich and the rest of us is growing wider day by day. It's growing wider in part thanks to Republican policies like just to pick one, last year's tax break uh, for the rich passed by Trump and his Republican yes-men and congressmen. So what do we do to eradicate social inequity and make things more fair, more equal? Well, even Republicans realize they've got to do something or else they might lose uh, next year's election. But what to do? They don't want to do the obvious thing, which would be to take back the tax hike because the reason they put the tax hike, the, excuse me, take back the tax cut because the reason they put the tax cut in in the first place is to help the richest of the rich. So they need to come up with a new culprit to blame social inequity on. Hmm, I know. Well, they're going to blame it on Maya. Uh, Maya Dukmasova. Our I knew it. Guess. It was Maya's fault. I knew it the Not- whole time. <laughs> you know that Maya knew she was up to no good. Well, not just Maya, but Maya and all working women like, oh, our 230 guest, Doris Davenport. It's her fault, too. I'm going to ask Doris Davenport what she thinks about that. And I'll ask Maya about what that. Anyway. All right. So here's here's the situation, folks. This is the uh, the world, according to uh, Andrews, Helen Andrews, who wrote this column uh, that ran in the New York Times, which is essentially the call to arm for Republicans. All right. So the problem is, is that there are too many women working uh in the workforce, all right? You following this? This is not me saying. I'm just uh, paraphrasing. Like my uncle wrote this article. <laughs> hey, Uncle Eldon. I think Uncle Eldon may have written this article. All right, here we go. So with so many women in the workplace, salaries go down, all right? So if we could just get the women out of the workplace, and again, this is not me speaking. I'm paraphrasing the argument raised by Republican strategist Helen uh, Andrews, uh, uh, Republican philosopher uh, Helen Andrews. Anyway, if you could just get the women out of the workplace, salaries would go up. Uh, That means men would make more money. And women could go back to doing, you know, what they do best, which is, you know, taking care of the families and being housewives. Hey, don't blame me. Don't send your letters, your email. I'm just reporting what Helen Andrews wrote. All right. So there you go. So if too late, you got an email here. Uh, (laughs) Ben Jarofsky, how dare you? (laughs) Sorry, man. It wasn't me. I didn't write the story again. It was uh, Helen Andrews. I'm just reporting it. So what she says effectively is that the Republicans have to come with some kind of plan that uh, subsidizes women to go back uh, to working uh, just working at home, being housewives, et cetera, so that uh, men could be the only people in the workforce. Salaries would rise because there'd be fewer people in the workforce and families would be saved because uh, essentially the reason why uh, there's drug use and teen pregnancies and crime is because women aren't at home raising the kids. You got that, D? All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's the situation. You got that, everyone? I'll tell you, uh, you just got to get women out of the workplace, get them back in the homes, and life will be good. I'm telling you, man, those Republicans will try to sell you any old thing. 
to avoid raising taxes on the rich. We got a great show today. Maya Dukmasova will be here. That's correct. Uh, Maya from the Reader will be here at one thirty, and I'll ask her about this uh, article, among other things, to see what she thinks about because it's, it's the, what what she thinks about being the culprit for social inequity. Sam Holloway, Green Party vote. Every time I bring Sam on, he'd come on the old show. Every time I bring him, people would be outraged because Sam is uh, what we would say to the left of left. And I think it's important for liberals and uh, just general progressives to hear what he has to say, if for no other reason, to uh, destroy once and for all the notion that the Democratic Party somehow or other can't win elections because they can't get guys uh, like Sam to vote for their candidates. Because there's no way, guys, Green Party people like Sam would vote for their normal, regular Democrats. All right, So it's good just to listen to what he has to say uh, just from that perspective alone. And then, of course, the two 30, Doris Davenport will be here. Love talking politics with Doris Davenport. Uh, old friend of uh, the show uh, back in the old days when we were back at that radio station, whatever it's called. Uh, so we'll have Doris talking. Uh, that one you got fired from. <laughs> yeah, you know, that oh, one. Okay. Yeah. Let's make it true. Uh, yeah, no, that different. Not That was the one. Yeah, I had to think about it. Uh, so uh, great uh, uh, guest, uh, Doris Davenport. Look forward to talking politics with her. Politics, politics, politics all day long. But before we do any of that. Dr. D with the news. Hey, guys. The D stands for Dennis. It's the middle of the day. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Hey, here's nothing new at all. Another person is leaving the Donald Trump White House. Oh. Uh, a few weeks there till that happened last time. This time it's the Deputy Attorney General, and we knew this was going to happen. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, a.k.a. the guy who appointed <laughs> Special Counsel Robert Mueller to yeah. investigate Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. Yeah, Rosenstein submitted his resignation letter to the White House on Monday. Here's a quote in the resignation letter from Rod Rosenstein, who will officially be uninvited to the White House cheeseburger night (laughs) starting May 11th. He's leaving May 11th. Quote, we enforce the law without fear or favor because credible evidence is not partisan and truth is not determined by opinion polls. We ignore fleeting distractions and focus our attention on the things that matter because a republic that endures is not governed by the news cycle. All right, very good. You know, I'm going to give him credit, uh, Rosenstein credit for this. He didn't bow to pressure uh, and do what Trump told him and to, you know, fire Mueller. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, you know what? That, that He didn't do what Robert Bork did if we go way back into Watergate days uh, and just follow the uh, president's order. So I'll give him credit for that. But, D, I don't know. Uh, there's an article the Tribune that had uh, more of the resignation letter. Do you, do, you, do you quote the rest of the resignation letter there? Yeah, it's got that part. All right, well, this part here, uh, you, you note that he won't be invited to the cheeseburger party, but here's the part of the le- resignation letter that may get his invitation back, and I'm reading this from the Tribune. This is, quote, in his resignation letter to Trump, Rosenstein praised the president, quote, as I submit my resignation effective on May 11th, I am grateful to you for the opportunity to serve, for the courtesy and humor you often display in our... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the courtesy and humor you often display in our personal conversations, and for the goals you set in your inaugural address, patriotism, unity, safety, education, and prosperity, because a nation exists to serve its citizens. Maya Dugmasova has entered the building. Maya has entered the building. Can't wait to ask her and why, what she has to say about it being her fault for social inequity uh, in the United States. Anyway, Rosenstein, here's my favorite part. I am grateful to you for the opportunity to serve, for the courtesy and humor uh, you often display in personal. I you know, would never think courtesy was anything that anybody would accuse Donald Trump of. Nor he, Well, he is pretty funny with the when he does his windmill imitation. You know what I'm saying? That uh, Maybe Rosenstein. Rosenstein loves that windmill. 
Anyway, I'll tell you what. It's it's funny. Rose, they're still sucking up to Donald Trump. Can't even leave without writing your courtesy and humor. Hmm. I guess he does want to get invited to that hamburger party. Must be good burgers. All right, another Trump news. Oh, Donald. President Donald Trump, three of his children, Donald Jr., Eric and Ivanka, and his business are suing two banks oh, to yeah. block them from turning over financial records to mm-hmm. congressional committees that have issued subpoenas for the information. It's the second attempt in court that Trump has made this month to end the Democratic-led House of Representatives from investigating his financial history. The legal action is against Deutsche Bank, one of Trump's lenders, and mm-hmm. Capital one what's in your wallet <laughs> nice commercial yeah. love those commercials yeah. didn't charles barkley do the commercial for them i don't know probably yeah. not yeah. trump's attorney recently said that both <laughs> banks have quote long provided yeah. business and personal banking services to plaintiffs yes oh my goodness this is going to be a fascinating case and by the way jim coogan has already weighed in and we're going to bring him on next week to talk about it. i know monroe is going to want to talk about this tomorrow as well monroe has long contended uh that deutsche bank is sort of where uh, Trump launders his money uh, and uh, and then he, there is a legitimate reason for the uh, Democrats to go after this information to see what their president is up to, what connections he has to Russia, uh, what potential blackmailing points Putin has over Trump, et cetera, et cetera. That is Monroe Anderson's view of the world. Donald Trump's view of the world is that this is an egregious violation of his rights as a private citizen overreached by the Democrats uh, and they're on a fishing expedition or a witch hunt, whatever uh, the phrases of the day, and they're going to uh, fight like hell to resist those uh, uh, subpoenas. I don't know. I look forward to this one playing out. I don't feel sorry for Donald Trump on any level. And some of the reporting about uh, how the Deutsche Bank was uh, so what, loose and easy with their oversight in terms of the loans they gave Donald Trump, including the loans to build uh, the tower here, uh, right here, which we always go by in the brown line every day, Trump Tower. Oh, and yeah, yeah. We're heading home, we see that big, beautiful sign. And I always go, oh, take a look at my building. That's <laughs> right. And that sign annoys me to this day. $50,000 pancake campaign contribution to Rahm Emanuel, and he got a sign. Hey, congressman, investigate that. The $50,000 he gave to Rahm, now how he got the sign. Anyway, in general, when it comes to Donald Trump, I welcome more investigations. Shout out to the live stream chat. Derek, Kyle, Shia, I'm my sister's keeper. How's it going, guys? Okay. That's a long name <laughs> together. All right. And yeah, we got to talk about Grandpa Joe, former vice president, and now, finally, a 2020 Democratic presidential candidate. As weeks seem to be going uh, pretty well so far, Biden officially kicked off his presidential campaign at a rally in Pittsburgh. It took place at the Teamsters local 249 Banquet Hall, and it was sponsored by the International Association of Firefighters. Make no mistake, unions like Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden is from Pennsylvania. He's a scratch. Scranton, man. We have now learned that Biden's campaign headquarters will be in Philadelphia. And according to Grandpa Joe, if he is going to be able to beat Donald Trump in 2020, it's going to happen in Pennsylvania. I believe that Pittsburgh and my native town of Scranton and my hometown of Wilmington and Claymont, they represent the cities and towns that made up, make up hardworking middle class Americans who are the backbone of this nation. That's not hyperbole, the backbone of this nation. I also, uh, I also came here because, uh, quite frankly, folks, if I'm going to be able to beat Donald Trump in 2020, it's going to happen here. It's going to happen here. <laughs> guy, is that the same guy from the ROM tape? Yeah, there's always yeah. the one guy. He's yeah. a traveler. <laughs> 
Uh, I can't wait to uh, ask Maya what she thinks about Joe Biden's president. I know she's got some opinions about this. <laughs> she's already shaking her head. Uh, get Sam Holloway's thoughts on that as well. And Doris Davenport as well. Joe Biden, uh, uh, you know, he. Uh, <laughs> everybody has an opinion about uh, Grandpa Joe. And uh, I'm going to hold back with mine as I listen to uh, Maya. Sam and Doris. All right. What a tease that was, guys. So, hey, be listening later on for Ben's opinion on that. Here's more from 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden in Pittsburgh. There are three basic reasons why I'm running for president of the United States. All right. The first is to restore the soul of the nation. And the second is to rebuild the backbone of this nation. And the third is to unify this nation. We always do better when we act as one America. Today... Today, I want to speak about the second of these three, and that's rebuilding the backbone of America. And that is that we have time, uh, all my time in public life, from since I've gotten involved, I've been referred to as middle-class Joe. It's not always meant as a compliment. It's usually that I'm not sophisticated. That's why I'm middle-class Joe. But the fact of the matter is, I'm awfully sophisticated about why, how, and who built this country. Let me say this simply and clearly, and I mean this. The country wasn't built by Wall Street bankers, CEOs, and hedge fund managers. It was built by you. It was built by the great American middle class. Well, they're fired up, I'm buddy. fired up, too. Grandpa Joe. I don't call you middle class Joe. I call you Grandpa Joe. Yeah, worse. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being Grandpa Joe. No, uh, that, uh, he's getting ready. That's his, uh, that's his spiel. That's uh, his appeal. He's going to uh, push that button. We'll see how it wor- if it works. We got, we got focus groups set up. We got Maya. We got Sam. We got Doris. We're going to see if it is working with them. I know Maya's a huge joke. <laughs> Joe Biden fan. <laughs> All right. A new poll conducted by SSRS after Biden's announcement on Thursday shows 39% of voters who are Democrats or Democratic-leaning independents yeah. are saying that Joe Biden is their top choice for the nomination. That puts Biden more than 20 points wow. ahead of Mr. $27 himself, Senator Bernie Sanders, who holds 15% in the poll and roughly 30 points ahead of the next strongest candidate, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, 8%. By the way, fourth place place pete Buttigieg, mayor pete oh he's down to fourth place how much was he at yeah i don't have it okay yeah i you know i of the of the three that you mentioned uh the one that uh, i like the most at the moment is elizabeth warren uh because she makes the same pitch to uh sort of middle class america working class america uh, poor people in general uh who who have been uh, hammered hard by the policies of trump and the republicans and she has you know a slew of platform uh, policy statements and position papers uh she's thought things through she's actually put together uh, all kinds of constructive ideas down through her career but she's what? How how down is she in the polls? Eight percent. So apparently, once again, uh, D, I am not in the majority, even in the Democratic Party. Uh, I just think that um, there's got to be some kind of bias against people who are smart when it comes to politics in America these days. Elizabeth Warren is clearly smart, and there seems to be a bias against her because she's. I'm going to ask Maya about that. Hold on, bias against smart people ask Amaya. All right, good. Ready? All right, great. Uh, So uh, after that announcement, Trump did what he always does, troll on Twitter, (laughs) and then Biden responded. It was a big back and forth. All right, we'll keep you posted on that as today's program rolls along. Ben Jarofsky, are you ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and Uh, Illinois? Absolutely. I was born ready. I love that you're born ready. Every time you answer that. (laughs) Because coming up after this break, we are going to find out what else is news. 
All right, I cannot wait. It's my favorite part of the day with Dr. Plucks that little trick from out his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. (laughs) Will do. I will take it away uh, and uh, turn it right over to you, young man. Oh, thanks. We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for what else is news. Uh, Well, we've got the wrong news script here. Let me pull up the right one here. And uh, okay, is this the one? All right, hang tight with me here. Okay, here we go. We're about to find out what's going on locally. Time for what else is news. On May 20th, landslide Lori Lightfoot will become Chicago's 56th mayor. And thanks to Sunday's article from Andy Shaw in the Chicago Sun-Times, we are going to highlight the six ways that Mayor-elect Lightfoot can stay true to her good government promises as she heads into office. But first... Yay for our teachers! (laughs) Yay for our teachers! Bye, Bruce. The following comes from Crane's Chicago Business. And no, it's not from Crane's writer and the worst poker player in all of Chicago, Greg Hines. No. <laughs> no I didn't write this one. No, this comes from a fellow named Dennis Rodkin. Yeah, I'm okay. sure he's bad at poker. Too. I don't know. I, I've never met him. Apparently last week, a moving truck was spotted in front of the Winnetka home mm-hmm. of former Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner. And it was reported Monday that Bruce Rauner and his wife have listed the Winnetka home for sale. Oh, poor guy. He loses the election. Now he's selling his house. But before you start to feel too bad for Bruce Rauner, you must hear this part. And listeners, get ready to not relate whatsoever. (laughs) The Rauners are asking just under $3 million for their eight-bedroom Nantucket-style house on about half an acre. And according to the Cook County Recorder of Deeds, the Rauners also have two two Mm -hmm. downtown Chicago condominiums, both for some reason, in the same building on Randolph Street near Millennium Park. They have a 41st floor unit that they bought almost uh, for about $1 million in 2008 and a 61st floor penthouse that they bought the same year for a little more than $4 million. Mm, Wow. These two condos are not on the market outside the Chicago area. The Rounders reportedly own several other homes, including about 23,000 acres on ranches in Wyoming and Montana, a waterfront mansion in Key Largo, Florida, and a Manhattan penthouse they bought for $10 million in 2005. My God, I hate this guy. (laughs) It's been a while. It's just getting over it. I hate him all over again. <laughs> the Rounder family cannot yeah. be reached for comment. Okay. He <laughs> can't be reached for comment. Uh, Bruce Runner off. I'm, I'm getting nostalgic uh, and weepy eyed thinking about the mansion in Winnetka. At uh, one point, I think it was in 2016, uh, I joined a group of protesters from Chicago, school parents who were protesting the inequitable way we finance public education in our state. And they had to protest in Winnetka and they went to uh, Rounder's home and uh, nobody was there. I don't think anybody ever lived there or nobody had lived there in recent days. Uh, and uh, it was just sort of a sign of everything that we do wrong in uh, the state of Illinois uh, that we, we uh, so much of our 
public education is funded by property taxes, local property taxes. So the greater the amount of wealth a community has, the more money could spend on education, the uh, uh, the more the better, higher quality education they can offer their children. The more variety of courses and curriculums, smaller classrooms, uh, wraparound services. Kids having trouble, make sure they have a tutor. If there's kid are traumatized, make sure they have a counselor. All the things that children need uh, to get a good start on life, and they were able to afford them uh, in Winnetka and in Wilmette uh, because they don't waste their property tax dollars on frivolous things like just to name one. Uh, subsidizing Lincoln Yards, an upscale community gentrifying area. So I'm getting nostalgic thinking about how those protesters uh, went to Ronner's home to sort of dramatize the inequity, uh, inequities in Illinois. But don't, have no fear, D. He has those two condos downtown, so he's doing okay. Obviously, he's not selling this home because they need to raise money to pay uh, crucial bills. I guess um, I just want to get out of Winnetka, huh? So. Get, getting nostalgic, huh? I'll play it again. Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Yeah, maybe he's sick of funding the public schools of Winnetka. There it is. <laughs> I'm sick of funding those schools. Uh, I hate teachers. Uh. Anyway. All right, now let's talk Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot. Today is day two of Lightfoot meetings with city, county, and federal law enforcement officials to hammer out details of their joint plan to combat the traditional surge in summer violence. Mm-hmm. Her first meeting took place at Chicago Police Headquarters and today she is meeting with city departments and agencies. No big updates to report on that. After all, she isn't the mayor until May 20th. But Andy Shaw of the Chicago Sun-Times and formerly of the Better Government Association wrote something on Sunday, and it would be great to get your opinion on it, Mr. Jarowski. The Andy Shaw article is a bit of a strategy guide for Lori Lightfoot as she heads into office. By the way, Lightfoot, also a former board member of the Better Government Association. She left in 2015. The article is titled, The Six Ways That Mayor-Elect Lightfoot Can Stay True to Her Good Government Promises Mm -hmm. as She Heads Into Office. Ben, let's go through these six ways. Andy Shaw writes, Here are a few initiatives Lightfoot and her transition team could be considering prior to inauguration prior to her inauguration i can talk on may 20th and we will start with number one (laughs) number one evaluating city programs and services and city council committees to ascertain what's absolutely necessary and affordable and what could be scaled back phased out or merged with so-called sister agencies and their boards cta cha park district and public building commission or even cook county government to minimize duplication and excess and achieve an economy of scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a favorite theme of uh, good government reformer types like Andy Shaw, uh, that there's waste in public government. And <laughs> Maya's been down. You know what? This is another cover. Write this down. Ask Maya what she thinks about consolidating government. Uh, the notion is that a lot of money could be saved by consolidating government. I don't know how much money. Every time I see the amount uh, that could be saved, it's... I don't know, relatively speaking, not that much. So it's sort of a lot of a lot of energy spent on something that will not have a huge uh, benefit. Plus, I always throw this out, and the good government people respectfully or sometimes not respectfully disagree with me, uh, that in many ways, uh, having somebody on the payroll is the most direct investment a city can make in itself, because generally they have to live in the city of Chicago uh, if you're a city employee, and uh, they're sometimes the backbones of of a community. So I'm not so certain that always cutting the payroll uh, is in always is always in the best interest of the city of Chicago. So, you know, I don't always see eye to eye 
with my good government brothers and sisters. We'll see if Maya, what Maya thinks about that. I'm writing that down there. All right. If you just tuned in, well, we're going over the six ways that Mayor-elect Lightfoot can stay true to her good government promises as she heads into office. We just did number one, and it doesn't take no Daniel Biss to know what's next. Number two. <laughs> That's right. Number two. He's good at math, yeah, guys, no, Daniel yeah, Biss. is really And you are too, Dennis. Oh, yeah, saying. right. Two comes after one. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. All right. Number two, reducing the size of the city council and making aldermen a full-time job by banning secondary employment or at least second jobs that affect city tax dollars, programs, or services. Well, I would put that under the category of, duh, should have been done a long time ago. That course is we call the Ed Burke move. Ed Burke was run, runs a property tax business while uh, serving as an alderman of the 14th, while serving uh, previously as the chair of the finance committee. And there's definitely something re- called a conflict of interest right there. So, uh, yeah, I believe that aldermen uh, should be full-time employees. And then if you're going to make them full-time employees, I'm not sure you want to cut uh, the, the, the roles and responsibilities they have, because I would like to see aldermen being more of a check and a balance on the all-powerful mayor. So a lot of times when I see these calls to cut aldermen or restrict their powers or cut council committees, it's really giving more power to the mayor. I'm not sure that's a great idea. Moving on. Number three. The third way that Mayor-elect <laughs> Lightfoot can stay true to her good government promises as she heads into the office imposing term limits on local elected officials. All right, term limits. We're right back to term. By the way, I think the voters of this day here, Andy Shaw, if you're listening, I know you are. You love the show. Uh, uh, Andy Shaw, here's what I'd ask you to do. Uh, Go call the Chicago Board of Elections and ask them what the vote was on the referendum, Pat Quinn's referendum on term limits on the mayor. When we try to have term limits, people always say, we want term limits. So Pat Quinn tried to have term limits. Mayor Rahm brought his lawyers in to tie him up in knots. It's still The case is still being argued. I don't know where it is right now uh, at an appellate court level, I think. Uh, meanwhile, the voters got to vote. We don't know what the results of the election are. So term limits is one of those things people always call for. Then when Pat Quinn tried to do something about it, the powers that be kept it from actually happening. We don't even know what the result of the referendum is. So I would add to that list, uh, instead of calling for term limits, see what the results were November's referendum were. You don't want to ask Doris Davenport about that. She used to work for Pat Quinn. Ask Doris Davenport about term limits. Got it, D. Excellent. We've gone over three ways that <laughs> Mayor-elect Lightfoot can stay true to her good government promises as she heads into office. Three more to go, and it is now time for... Wait. Number four. There we go. All right. Number four. Ending or at least limiting... Oh, God. This topic again. Aldermanic prerogative. Oh, no. Come on, Andy. Yeah. You're too smart for that. Ending or at least limiting aldermanic prerogative. Absolute control joke. over zoning, permitting, and development in their wards. First of all, they don't have absolute control. They only have control when the mayor lets them. We've been down this road before, Andy. You weren't listening. I'm going to make you go through tutorial again, all right? In fact, everybody agreed with me. Maya agreed with me. I, uh, who else agreed with on this particular point? I kept throwing. Tommy Mack? Tommy Mac, Tom Mack to me agreed with me on this one. People who, Big Dumpkey agreed with me on this one. They don't even have all this control. It's a phony issue. 
made up to give more, again, to justify giving more power to the mayor. I hate to say it. So anyway, get that one off the list, Andy. I have never heard of aldermanic prerogative until about three months ago, and now I just don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> no, no, I, you never heard about it because it didn't exist. I go, huh? Let's. Go. It's like that lady who uh, blamed everything on uh, Maya. All the social inequities of the world are. By Maya's the way, way fault. to go, Maya. Yeah, really. Thanks for nothing, Maya. My goodness. All right, we got two more. Let's just do it real quick yeah. here. Let's do Maya number five. Number five, folding the functions of city treasurer and, and clerk into city government, or at least combing or combining, good Lord, or combining the two elected offices into one. And we will just do the last one. Oh, I don't have it with number six, 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 extending the authority of the inspector general to investigate and audit aldermanic committees and staff. All right. I'll give him six, but five. I don't, uh, I'm not fa- uh, falling for that. I'd like to have, I would like to have more oversight not less. So that's in general, my opinion, when it comes to Chicago. When I look at Chicago government over the last 30 years, the problem is not the treasurer. The problem is not the clerk. The problem is not the alderman with their prerogatives. The problem lies with all powerful mayors. That's how I view it. So there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago. And now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? Right, let me tell you something. Tell me. That uh, Andy Shaw. Andy of Mayberry and Andy, Andy Griffin <laughs> that Andy and Andy Siegel a kid I went to high school with they all agree you did a great job give you some parades take it out of petty cash Maya sitting on deck she's eager to talk we'll bring her right on after this at Chicago and cremation options we are committed to listening educating and guiding your family through the cremation process whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicagoland Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, Chicago Land Cremation Options. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the bit. <laughs> Boy, you know we're on camera now. People oh, can see man. that. And they see that smooth dance uh, moves. That, that's a word for it. Yeah. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. All right. We are back. Maya Dumasova from the Chicago Reader is with me. And uh, Maya, you were sitting there very patiently uh, taking notes as Dennis was uh, reading Andy Shaw's breakdown of what's wrong with the city of Chicago and what uh, may, uh, mayor like Lightfoot should do to eradicate all that's wrong. You also heard me uh, explain why you are personally responsible for social equity uh, because you deign to have uh, a job <laughs> and be in the workforce. Uh, this is the latest from uh, the Republican Party, their strategies, their political strategies they head off. So those are two things. I need. Oh, and you heard Joe Biden. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I got to get you. <laughs> oh, my God. The best take I recently heard on Joe Biden was somebody tweeted that Joe Biden is the Democrats Mitt Romney. And I don't think there could be a better take on Joe Biden. Uh, take the deep dive in that. Well, one. just the, the argument was that uh, you could have beaten Barack Obama in 2012, but you ran Mitt Romney 
who was just about the worst possible candidate. So between Joe Biden's connections to Wall Street and to various other, uh, you know, like th th there was some articles in the Washington Post about Joe Biden's sons, you know, having business dealings with shady Ukrainian uh, business entities and oligarchs and then like with Chinese intelligence officials. Um, and uh, basically this person's point was that, yeah, that that Joe Biden is the Democrats' Mitt Romney. If so, they run him against Trump, like there is no surer way to lose this election. So, any all the the things that you heard when you heard uh, Joe Biden speaking, uh, what was he speaking? Have to? Have you ever seen Joe Biden's shirt? <laughs> no. Have you ever seen him in a Senate hearing? Have uh, you ever seen? Wait, did you say his shirt? Yeah, like no. the kind of shirts he wears. Uh, he, yeah, he, there is not yeah. a politician in Washington who has a more pristine and clean cut wardrobe than Joe Biden. That is not a man, that is not middle class Joe. Yeah. That, is a, that is a rich man. That like the quality of his shirts and his ties and the way that they're tailored clearly communicates to me that this man is very rich. So no, I don't buy any of this campaign rally bullshit. <laughs> all right. <laughs> hey, it's a podcast. You can say what you want. Uh, so all right, so you're not falling for the Joe Biden thing. All right, I wrote that down. Not falling for Joe Biden thing. Uh, middle class Joe. And 39% of the Democrats uh, in these early polls uh, favor Biden. I presume, I know your attitude about polls in general, uh, what, you, what you thought about that, 39%? Oh, well, yeah, I'm not really surprised that he has so many people um, rooting for him. I do think that there's he has like a, a, a very long uh, kind of a gas tank filled with um, uh, kind of support and warm feelings accrued in the, in, in, the, in, in the white middle class, especially over the years. So, you know, Scranton Joe, I don't know, middle class Joe is kind of clunky, but I do remember people, uh, I think in the past people re refer to him to, as Scranton Joe. What was it like Metro North Joe, or Amtrak <laughs> Joe or something like that. Because he took the train Yeah, work, right. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's, um, I, uh, yeah, I don't. I, I'm not so surprised that so many people are for him. I think I do think that he enjoys like very uh, uh, a lot of popularity uh, with a certain demographic of people, and he has the name recognition. Obviously, you know, like I, a lot of people, I think will, will will say that they're supporting Joe Biden because that's the person they know. So, yeah. Um, but this is the, this is this is a this is a classic situation of of like. Man, if the Democratic Party picks Joe Biden, like they just it, it's like they clearly have learned nothing from 2016. From the, from, yes, right. All right. Now, let's talk about Elizabeth Warren. I mentioned this as well. I was just thinking about this. I was riffing on my going through my mind about uh, Joe Biden when I heard he had 39 percent of the vote in a poll. And uh, what was it? Uh, Bernie had 15 percent. And I believe. I'm doing this off of memory. 8% went to Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Warren's been around a long time, uh, so she has longevity. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is a senator, so she has re achieved a certain level of success. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has generated more ideas about how to make government fair and how to fund government. Not just ideas. Impl things implemented. Okay. She's mm -hmm. at 8%. So... Off the top of my head, I said there's a bias in this country against people who are smart. Uh, and I'm going to rethink and think about that. But before I do, what is, do you think there's a bias against Elizabeth Warren? Uh, and what it, that, if you do, what is that? Yeah. Um, so I think there's definitely, I mean, this, this sort of anti intellectualism that's, uh, that's sort of very widespread in American society, like I think this goes 
this this has been around for a really long time like it's it's always been uh um a problem for you know political candidates who come off as too cerebral you know this was like you remember george w bush like people liked him because he was a guy they could have a beer with you know what i mean like it's 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 nothing new um but what worries me more so yeah I don't expect, like, of course there's going to be, you know, people kind of on the right or Republican voters who um, not only have uh, this kind of anti-intellectual bias, but also, like, you know, philosophical, ideological disagreements with her. Um, but then what, recently there, I had a conversation with a young man who, uh, this really this really concerned me, and it really made me um, think about Elizabeth Warren and 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 what you know how successful she might be with younger voters um so you know people were going crazy when she announced this whole idea for like forgiving student loan debt debt and which that is going to obviously earn her a lot of support among millennials but this young guy uh, I was talking to he was like in his early 20s he's younger than I am and uh generally I would say that like pretty lefty kind of guy like you know he's 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 young he's like a recent college graduate and but but in general i he's not in the conservative bucket of people out there but he was telling me he was like yeah i really like uh, kamala harris and i was like what like why do you like kamala harris he was like i don't know i just like her and i was like well what about liz warren and he was like yeah but i feel like she's yelling at me and I thought about it. And so we had like a little bit of a back and forth and I tried to explain to him, like, look, like you, everything I know about you is that you kind of like stand for these, you know, like you're against racism and racial inequality. And like uh, Kamala Harris is like somebody who was not at all a progressive prosecutor, like somebody who like there's like all kinds of stories out there about her time as a prosecutor. They're just like they're not, you know, it's like she doesn't have a record of being a progressive. Like she might be a charismatic, interesting candidate or whatever, but it just, it, it seems strange to me that a person with the kind of uh, beliefs and attitudes of this young man would, would, would be like into Kamala Harris. So, but then I kept thinking about what he said about Elizabeth Warren and I was kind of annoyed because I mean, like uh, this guy's like, you know, a college educated guy and whatever, but I was like, why like, People, they're serious. People really do get intimidated by things that sound complicated, and I think that there's always going to be this thing working, you know, kind of a sexist thing working against Elizabeth Warren, where people are just by default gonna resp- like if she and Bernie said the same exact thing, which in a lot of cases they do. Mm-hmm. People take it better coming from this like old man than they do from this woman, and um, but I do I do think that that. Uh, there has to be this part. So this, this, the other thing is like this young man was still talking about this whole thing with the DNA kit and native American ancestry. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of people hearing this college debt forgiveness plan, how, we're like, fuck this, fuck this, like, uh, you know, this like horrible communications idiocy about this, about this DNA kit, which was just dumb. Like, I, I'm sure that Elizabeth Warren, w- like somebody advised her to do that, to mm-hmm. connect to millennials. Yeah. And she probably did that. And she's probably hopefully realizing now that what you need to do to collect, to connect to young people isn't DNA kits, isn't to try to prove that you're Native American, but to actually talk about policies. So my point being is that I think that, uh, 
the way that her Paul something about her makes like these people sense that she's smarter than them and or that that somehow that there's there's this 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 vibe you know I don't know if she's actually smarter than a regular person but she is a very smart lady and she gives off that vibe and uh I think that it's on one hand it's like good that she's unapologetic about it on the other hand it's like important to realize that this works on people Mm -hmm. and your average voter is not going to go that deep and figure out what the policies are like they're going to go with their gut and so um with everything else that's going to be kind of working against her given that very very uh kind of progressive very left-leaning policies that she's proposing like i think that her campaign really has to work on 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 messaging and on presenting her as being more personable in a way that's um you know that that doesn't dumb her down but Mm -hmm. that also makes her relatable i heard something on the radio um over the weekend where uh, somebody was covering it was like an NPR coverage of uh, one of the her rallies in Iowa or like a town hall and they had an interview afterwards with the lady who had asked Elizabeth Warren what she was going to do about the tariffs um, because this lady is a soybean farmer and she's really suffering because of like the tariffs and the trade war with China and she's not able to sell her soybeans and I guess Elizabeth Warren like dodged the question um, and talked about something else and this woman was like very like unhappy about that so I think that there's kind of this danger of like coming you know taking up this um place in the race as being like the policy wonk and maybe she didn't answer the soybean tariff question because she didn't have like a specific answer for that particular issue right at that moment and she didn't want to like maybe she just didn't want to like bloviate about it and not and and say something in concrete but the lady came away with the impression that elizabeth warren did not answer her question and i think that like i don't know if elizabeth warren like has the sort of self-confidence to handle situations like this and say like you know what right now like i don't have a policy proposal for you Mm -hmm. but like still connect with people you know what i mean people will forgive a lot of in 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 um people will forgive a lot of not knowing things you know what i mean but the thing about being like a smarty pants is that then if you put yourself in a position where you have all the answers and then you don't and then you're kind of insincere about that that that's what people don't like yeah no i i hear what you're saying there is a an effective way to acknowledging that you don't know everything right uh and it doesn't make you look weak yeah i don't think it makes you look weak not for an american electorate i don't think that people don't like insincerity but but i i feel as though you uh what you're getting at here uh, is that there's a bias against women uh, who are running for the highest office in the land. We saw it with uh, Hillary Clinton. And um, in a way to, um, how do I put this, Uh, show that they're capable of handling all the uh, responsibilities they'll have as president of the United States without, um, in like scaring people or irritating people by trying to, by looking too smart. Uh, and um, I, uh, Miles uh, Porter has entered the building. Miles Porter has entered. Love it when my uh, editor comes in the building. But, um, and so I think that's a problem that uh, male candidates don't have. I don't think there's this inherent bias. Yeah, there's going to be more leeway for them 
to I mean look at Joe Biden his yeah. entire career is filled with with all kinds of slip-ups and wrong calls and actually like awful awful positions that he staked out for himself that he never backed down from or apologized for the whole thing with Anita Hill like all of it you or, know what if that like women unfortunately there's a higher standard for women women can't mess up so I think that the only way to fight back against that is to just to like stake out a, a, a sincere position and work on connecting with people personally. All right. And, and uh, people also, are never going to forgive her for being, people are never going to forgive her for, for being haughty. Yeah. Like a lot of people are going to hold that against her. Uh, Sam Holloway has entered the building. Love it when my guests come early. Uh, and, and not just uh, Joe Biden. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this the last time in the show, Peter uh, Buttigieg, Hedge, Mayor Ugh. Pete. I mean, Look at that. That's that a guy, guy gets whose entire with... candidacy yeah. is coasting <laughs> yeah. on some sort of perceived sincerity. Like, that. <laughs> yeah, he is. I, I mean, Elizabeth Warren has uh, policies, uh, position papers for virtually every issue confronting America today. Uh, Pete Buttigieg Tej has no policy papers, or very few. Uh, I'm exaggerating when he said no, I'm sure, they're, but they're not specific. He clearly hasn't spent a lot of time thinking about what he would do if he were elected president. And yet he's like, there was articles, it's like this Pete frenzy that's going on. Yeah. So there yeah. is a double standard, there's absolutely a double standard. Like women have to do their homework, men do not. You understand right. what I'm and, saying? And so the thing is that like you, like that is, that is the reality and it's awful, but it's, it's like a, it's like a long march to change that. And in the meantime, like we got, we're talking about having to like winning in the next two years yeah. against the president who just makes uh, people feel really great about the positions they have, about, uh, you know, about like his, their imperfections. Like people feel people who like Donald Trump feel great about the kind of person he is and the way they, that he makes them feel. You know what I mean? Like they they, they it's all affect, all of it. There's not there. We literally have somebody in the White House and an entire bu government bureaucracy filled with people who are just coasting on affect. Like, and there's some ideologues in there, but very few besides like, you know, people like Stephen Miller or whatever. Like there's, there's, there's just people whose entire political careers have been built on making people feel a certain way. And so, um, I think that if we're gonna, if, if the left is gonna, and this is actually exactly what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez does so well. I mean, yes, she's got, she's, she's got the smart, she's got the position paper, she's got the big ideas and big policy proposals, but at the end of the day, she connects and so I think Elizabeth Warren's biggest problem right now is she needs to is she needs to, she needs to work on connecting uh, and uh, with more than just me and you because we're you know it's preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah, no, I and maybe the secret is Joe Biden. Then I mean, uh, Joe Biden will never just based on what you said. Donald Trump it, it makes people feel good about themselves because he has all these flaws and he's unabashed about uh, putting them out there. Joe Biden, the same thing could be said about him. Right. He's got many flaws. Mm -hmm. he, can, he can hardly get into a sentence without getting into trouble by the right. time he exits the sentence. It's like our former mayor, Mayor Daley. Uh, he was the same way. Well, I can connect. He's really relatable. So maybe that's uh, the way to fight. That's why he's ahead of third. Maybe that's what the message is with the 39%. I don't know. All right. I cannot let you leave. There's so much to ask you about. I have to ask you about this essay, which uh, I commanded you to read. I don't think you read it. That's no, a, I did read oh, it. Did I read got it? this on 
in your okay. Times. <laughs> no, you have. You actually have. Yes. Uh, I should make Sam Holloway read this essay. This essay is, um, in my interpretation of this essay, is the Republican Party. I talked about this at the outset of the show. It's Helen Andrews' essay in the uh, Sunday uh, New York Times um, uh what is that, the uh, Week in Review section, Sunday Review section, uh, where she sort of lays out um, the Republican uh, approach to uh, uh, income inequity by blaming women in the workforce. Essentially, that's the number one <laughs> uh, yeah, culprit, yeah, women yeah, no, in the, the workforce. The, the thing, it was like, it's insane. <laughs> like, she, she's like talking about fucking Phyllis Schlafly yeah. and, and how... There's really no inheritor or 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 kind of heir to, for those who don't know, Phyllis Schlafly was like the premier anti-feminist um, of the 70s. You know, in the 70s, yeah, yeah, she like championed the fight against the Equal Rights Amendment, and so this person's argument is like, we, you know, there that the conservative movement doesn't have its Phyllis Schlafly, and there's this big problem going on with like, you know, uh, women who. Oh, this is like my brain just was like turns inside out trying to relate what this person is arguing. Uh, but basically it's like, you know, you can't, you shouldn't be uh, pr privileging women who want to work by creating uh, po social welfare policies like universal pre-k or whatever child care because then the women who don't want to work and stay at home with their families are going to be disadvantaged unfairly and our policies shouldn't be uh, our policies shouldn't be unfairly like working against women who don't Right. Want to stay home with their families, and then she quotes Tucker Carlson, that 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 intellectual luminary <laughs> yeah. of our times. Yeah. And this is this is the most insane. This is like one of the most insane parts of this. She talks about, you know, Mr. Carlson noted that manufacturing, a quote male-dominated industry, has declined, while female-dominated fields like education and healthcare have remained strong. And this is part of her argument that, like, as more women entered the workforce. Uh, they basically were, this is like the same argument people make about like immigrants driving wages down. Yes. You know what I mean? It's their it's like, fault. Forget like, and, and, and then this whole thing from Tucker Carlson is like somehow weaving this into it saying that like, it's because women are in the work, in the workforce that fem quote unquote female dominated fields are surging. Like. Forget the fact that you know, if you're a man, you could become a nurse. Yes, that you is could correct. become a teacher. Like, the, Meet like, the the, like, like, <laughs> like our 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 economy is changing, and the fact yeah. that it's like quote unquote women dominated fields that are still growing and booming compared to manufacturing it has nothing. Like, it it's not because women shouldn't be in the workforce. So anyway, all of this is like just so incredibly dumb. I really can't recommend anyone spend waste time reading this. Except, except that this is the ideology, this is the spin that the Republican Party will put on the problems that we face. And so here's the problem. In order to get, uh, to prevent us from electing someone like Elizabeth Warden, Warren, excuse me, who would confront head on issues of social inequity with, by changing our tax policies, let's say, or by changing our, the way we finance public education or the way we're, students are obligated to pay off uh, college loans instead of doing something very systematic uh, and specific about dealing with inequity. Uh, they want to give us gobbledygook like this to sort of 
uh, undercut the argument of Elizabeth Warren and undercut the argument of the progressives in the Democratic Party and reelect Donald Trump. And that's what's frightening about well, it. Well, I, I mean, yeah, but this seems like even not in the same ballpark as the like this is this is like this is like some other thing. I mean, Donald Trump's like signature family uh, like policy is like Ivanka's paid leave thing, you know, p- 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 childcare tax subsidy or whatever. Like even that is 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 like it, some kind of. I it's mean, more this, progressive than this. Right. I mean, this this woman, this this uh, writer Helen Andrews, like yeah. she she talks in this piece about how there's like a cross ideological consensus now that like you know that, that women are in the workforce. Like how do we make it so that there isn't a bit gender pay gap? Like right wing, left wing, uh, you know, think tanks, whatever. Everybody. Is talking about the, gen- the 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 wage gap being a problem, and she's saying that it's like women being in the workforce that's creating that's this gender saying, wage yeah. gap. It's I mean it's like an argument about invasive species. It's like oh we have like, you know like in Australia they have like this out of control problem with like toads and feral cats and all of these like like populations that are out of control that that were like introduced there who don't belong there mm-hmm. and have no natural enemies. So then like other animals are introduced to like hunt those animals yeah. and then and then that that throws the system out of balance it's like the problem is capitalism like the like the like the basic <laughs> problem here is that women can be uh we're, employers get away with paying women less yeah. because of like patriarchy and other social forces that 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 put women in a position not only to be working in jobs that are less likely to be unionized but also to be to to to, to like take all kinds of abuse essentially and uh, you know, th- like, th- like that—that's the root of this issue. It's not that women are working. It's like wi- it's like, it's that like women are not treated equally by employers. I mean, honestly, folks, if you're going to read anything from that issue, <laughs> yeah. I really recommend you skip right past the Sunday review and go to the Sunday business section, which has an, a, a very similarly actually. Um, I guess we have a camera now. Yeah, a very similarly uh, styled front page article, uh, which is also yellow, right? Yeah. And I wonder if they did it on purpose. Um, wh- uh, the headline is "Women Did Everything Right, the Work Got Then Work Got Greedy," and it's a whole big feature about how um, the pay- gender pay-, pay gap is largely driven by uh, disparities in pay mm-hmm. in jobs where um, men. Where, where people basically that people who work longer than 50 hours a week in like service professionals uh, like you know like law firms whatever client client services type of fields that those um that those jobs when people work more than 50 hours a week these are like non-unionized sectors um they uh they, they make disproportionately more money but it but it's but it's really only men that can take on those jobs because uh it's it's men who are like it's it's women who take on prime you know mostly usually take on um child care responsibilities mm-hmm. and more men get promoted to jobs where they can then work way longer hours and make way more money so you know, being uh, there's like a pull quote here that kind of sums it up. Being willing to work 50 percent more doesn't mean you make 50 percent more. You make like 100 percent more. So anyway, it's kind of a, a very data driven story, but uh, it's interesting. And it really takes on this issue of like the the wage gap and how to solve it and like what what the driving problems are. Well, uh, I, from from an actual, you know, I, I would say that um, 
the essay that ran in the Sunday section by Helen Andrews is an example of what I would call uh, conservative affirmative action. All right, now, Sam, you think about this and maybe ask you to address it, uh, that liberal newspapers like the New York Times lower the bar on uh, what is an acceptable intellectual argument oh, in order. No, I disagree. Wait, with let you. me okay. get my statement right. out. Before okay. You do, okay. At least All know right. what I'm saying before right. you disagree with it. They lower the bar on what is an acceptable intellectual argument that would justify so much real estate in their newspaper because they want to appear open-minded and even-handed and give the right its stand. So they've given uh, that's. The front page, you show it to the camera, people can see it. It's the front page, gives a lot of space uh, to what, as you point out, uh, is really just a, a seriously flawed, inconsistent argument, which totally is contradicted by the data-driven. Yeah, look at all the space they give to this argument that somehow or other women are the reason that, women in the workforce is the reason there's social inequity. So I call that uh, affirmative action for conservatives, where they feel compelled to give uh, the conservative point of view a prominent place in their newspaper, uh, even, if it's, it, it, even if it couldn't stand the rigor of Listen, analysis. Let me tell you two things. First of all, there's absolutely nothing fresh about the 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 criticism of the New York Times opinion section, which has been like now almost completely taken over by these right wing pseudo intellectuals. Like everybody, like everybody's had that conversation already. And the other thing is like, uh, <laughs> I mean, the the I think that the New York Times's consideration about something like this is much more pragmatic. Like this this is cr there for me and you and the Upper West Siders to get all foaming at the mouth about and be tweeting about and be attracting attention to this goddamn paper and for people to be clicking and reading this thing. This wow. is there for the advertising so it's not revenue. Even, it's, it's just clickbait. It's not uh, even affirmative action That's what I think Arthur Sulzberger is doing with this. You know what I mean? And, and Dean Baquet. But the other thing is like, I do not agree that the intellectual standards are lowered for this like right-wing drivel. There is a lot of really bad writing in the New York Times on a regular basis that's not from a right-wing perspective. They publish Fair all enough. kinds of half-baked, not very well-written stuff. So honestly, as a piece of writing, this is really not the worst uh, I've seen lately. Okay, but uh, fair <laughs> enough. But as a as a art rhetorical, as an argument, uh, it is as so flawed. As an flood. argument, it's yes, it's it's it's, it's awful. It's, it's, mean, it's awful. And it, look at again the real estate again. I, well, you know what? But you know, uh, some illustrator got a job out of this. Well, thank congratulations God bless to yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, uh, and let's hope they were paid handsomely. All right, I uh, must ask you about uh, Andy Shaw's recommendations uh, from the BGA, and as you know, uh, this kind of feeds into something else you wanted to talk about, uh, and uh, maybe we should bring uh, Sam into this conversation because this sort of sounds like Sam Holloway country as well, uh, but the the preciousness of liberals uh, in the in the day and age of, uh, of Mayor Rahm and uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, here in the city of Chicago. But before we do that, uh, just your thoughts when you heard the, the sort of the general notion of good government reformers is that the, the first steps that our mayor election make uh, is to consolidate uh, divisions of government, cut the number of jobs that exist, and that'll be the first road to reforming. And that's reform is in quotes. Um, so you heard that. Uh, what's, what's your general thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I a lot of this is like very innocuous, but I do, you know, um, what you said about uh, consolidating government and um, getting rid of superfluous jobs and all that stuff. Like, I think that 
yeah, yeah, like in Illinois, this conversation has been going on since like the 80s, if not earlier. Like Dick Simpson has been writing reports about the sort of unnecessary amount of, you know, duplicative government work that's going on out there. Um, and while, uh, you know, there are a lot of probably like inefficiencies or inconsistencies because we have so many different layers of local government and so many different government agencies that are all performing kind of adjacent tasks. Um, I do think that this is also kind of a dot, like this like neoliberal dog whistle of like, oh, we need more efficiency. So like, let's get rid of this jobs and like outsource this work to like these experts, you know, who whose entire reason for being is, <laughs> is, is to like perform this work. Yeah. Like, look at what our mark did in the C in the C you know, in CPS schools, like you outsource a janitorial services and then you pay this contractor and then you still get 30 filthy schools. schools. Yeah. Like, right. Like who, have, is it, yeah. how, who is it easier to get good results out of like people who are directly employed by you versus contractors? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, I, there is still like, there's several, this, I guess is probably more of a County, um, a, a county government problem now, but there there are still offices that are like kind of rife with patronage. I mean, there's still offices, um, county government offices. I'm thinking in particular, like like Dorothy Brown's office, uh, the clerk of the circuit court, where there's tons of people who just sit there all day and don't do anything, and uh, you know who who knows what their what their like job you know performance like wh how their job performance is measured or what what their how you know how effective they are at what they do. Um, but uh, that's a that's a problem with the leadership of that office. Like God knows, the clerk needs those positions to be like doing work to actually be handling the work that that office has to handle, like mm -hmm. dealing with millions of cases. Um, but uh, that's a problem, you know, at the top. That's a problem with the kind of office culture that Dorothy Brown has created. Not with the fact that there are those jobs. Like getting contractors into those jobs is not going to solve the problem. <laughs> That is Maya Dukmasova, and uh, we got Sam Holloway sitting on deck. We're going to bring her on, r bring him on right after this. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. 
We have several advertising options for your business or organization. And quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at Publisher at Chicago Reader Corp. at C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, The Chicago Reader, and The Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of The Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Ben, they can see you dancing now. Oh, no! (laughs) Gotta remember that, dude. And they go, God, is he smooth on his feet? Yeah. Just keep (laughs) thinking they're thinking that. All right. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, April 30th is moments away. But before we get into the second hour, we have to remind all you guys the Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by unions. A few of them, in fact, like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, and the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. Oh, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky Show. And today's show is brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, April 30th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we still got Maya Dukmasova in studio. We welcome firefighter Sam Holloway and, still to come, political talk host Doris Davenport. And now your host, he thinks he's a good dancer. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Uh, I convinced Maya to uh, stay. I locked the door. I wouldn't let her leave. And uh, Sam, I welcome Sam Holloway to the studio. And all right, a little back, uh, a little backdrop on Sam and myself. Uh, let's see. He's my neighbor. I see him occasionally when he's walking his dog. He's a firefighter for the city of Chicago, but the views expressed by Sam Holloway are not necessarily those of the Chicago Fire Department. How about that, Sam Holloway? I would say that's an understatement. Okay. Uh, uh, He has also been known. I've gotten in trouble with Sam in the past by saying he's a Green Party activist. So I like to say he more, he occasionally votes for the Green Party. How about that? Is that uh, a fair? Well, because they're occasionally on the ballot, so that's accurate. Okay. That would be accurate. Uh, And the way I got to know Sam, I wrote about him for the reader. So let's just go back and talk about this uh, one more time. I love this story uh, very much. Uh, in uh, about 2011, when Rahm was recently elected, uh, people forget about this. They talk about this is this is very interesting. These days, Rahm's getting all this uh, uh, love uh, and attention and pats on the back of Sam Holloway because uh, in his second term, he raised taxes. This, I'm 
showing a, a sometime story, gives him credit for raising taxes to pay the pension obligations. In 2011, he had a different strategy uh, for dealing with our pension obligations. What he did was tell uh, city municipal, employ- municipal employees that he was going to cut the pensions. And as such, he was visiting firehouses throughout the city, and he walked into the firehouse where Sam Holloway, my guest, who was right across the table from me, uh, worked, which I believe wasn't, on, it doesn't matter where it was, but I think it was on the near north side. Anyway, uh, he walked in and he effectively said, um, I'm going to cut your pensions. Okay, it's, go ahead. It's Tell a little more that. complicated than that. Um, uh, what he did first, you have to remember, we had just lost, at the time, we just lost a couple of uh, people in the line of duty, and one of them was very popular. Many people knew him. I'd even worked with him a few times. Really nice guy. And his pretext for entering the firehouse. And knowing Rom, maybe he's he can multitask like that emotionally. Maybe he was sincere in coming by to offer his condolences and say how he'd just met with the family. And, you know, everybody in my firehouse knew this guy. So we're th- I'm thinking to myself, oh, well, this is pretty classy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he's capable of it, but it was still a surprise. <laughs> so he gets done with yeah. that. And right away, without missing a beat, okay, now I want to talk about your pensions. And that's where he mm-hmm. said, talked about. Yeah, go ahead. What, that's where he said what you were getting getting to, which is we're going to have to make some tough choices, which in neoliberal speak means you all are going to take a cut. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was on top of everything else, it was salt to the wound uh, to come in. To me, on the pretext of paying respect else. to a, a, a firefighter who died uh, in the cause, and not just leaving. If, if he had just come in and said, you know what, guys. Uh, I allowed a lot of love and respect for the job you do and the and the risks and, you take. And, and I gotta leave. I just wanted to let you know that. Right. But to follow it up yes. right away yes. sort of undercuts the message of love and respect he has. Absolutely. And I, I can't speak for anyone else, but that was my emotional reaction to it. Uh I was I can't say offended because it's like I you know his very appearance, you always, you're, you're, I'm just expecting something bad when mm-hmm. he shows up because of who he is. So he can't really offend me, but it was a negative response. So I was motivated at that point when he started talking about that to bring up that thing that I'd been reading about at the time, which was uh, the Robin Hood tax, or the the, Wall, the LaSalle Street tax, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Because And, and I, I wasn't saying it to convince him, obviously. But here he was blowing smoke up the asses of, like, 20 firefighters. He was doing it right at dinner time. We're, we were about to eat. You know, that's... You don't want to make me wait to eat. <laughs> so he was doing that, and on top of the insult of yeah. doing that on the heels of, you know, what he had just done. Uh, so I was like, you know, screw this. So I raised my hand very politely, and I right. said, well, you know, I have a solution. And, and there, you know... I think we've covered you. I, you want me to go ahead and yeah, go okay. ahead. Yeah, all right. So, some people may not have heard this okay, one. Yeah. So, memories is getting. You know, I'm getting older. Memories fading, but I do remember saying I have a, a possible solution. Yeah. Um, and I sort of broke it down. I said, you know, throughout this crisis that sort of began supposedly in 2007, 2008, people losing their homes. You know, um, the, the mortgages are are all in, you know their their mortgages are all underwater. Uh, who did we bail out? Wall Street. We didn't bail out Main Street. We bailed out Wall Street. So all these people are left high and dry, and we've given billions of dollars to the people that created the crisis. Now, I'm not talking about 
stringing them up. I'm talking about a modest solution that we can do right here that can help us right now, and it's a financial transactions tax. You can uh, charge a minuscule amount, like let's say a penny on $100, and with the trillions of dollars flowing through these exchanges, you can generate you know, dozens of millions of dollars a year at least, mm -hmm. and you can start to deal with some of these pension shortfalls. No one gets hurt. You don't have to raise property taxes or sales taxes on, on working people. These traders aren't really going to be hurting. It's a solution that's, that's worked in other places. It's just waiting on us to find the political will. Mm -hmm. And you could see uh, my colleagues, I didn't really notice because, you know, I'm, in, I'm on fire at this point. Yeah, you're focused. I'm fired up. I'm, I'm like on my soapbox. This is what I do on Twitter. You know, yeah. you've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter actually contains me because I get emotional. You know, yeah. so I'm getting fired up. Yeah. And the guys told me later because they weren't really listening to what I was saying yeah. so much as the fact that I was saying it. So they said that he was getting a little squirrely, and his bodyguards were getting closer to him because you know there's this big six foot four black guy getting animated. Yeah. You know, and they don't expect when a black man gets animated that he's going to just be talking about policy. <laughs> So, yeah. so, uh, which is all I was doing, yeah. but, um, but he was listening. Ron Manuel was listening uh -huh. and he saw exactly what I was, where I was going. I think he knew as soon as I opened my mouth and started talking about it, so he knew where I was going yeah. with it. And he, he said, you know what? I don't support that very calmly. I don't support that. And I think if you go downstate to the legislature, you, you'll find that the, there's no one else that supports that. And we don't want to be penalizing an industry or this and that. And, and I said, okay. And he said, uh, at the end of it, he just said, um, well, if you think this is such a good idea, maybe you should run for office. And I said, you know what? Maybe I will. And that was the end of it. Yeah. All right. And uh, and that was 2000. I remember 2011. Yes. Uh, he left shortly thereafter. Right away. Uh, and uh, I think it was my wife, who knows your wife, yes. told me about it. And I called Sam up. It was love uh, ever, ever after. Uh, and um, I remember saying to you, are you sure you want me to write about this, oh, Sam? Hell. Are you sure you want me to write oh, about yeah. this? Because I don't want you getting transferred down the... And there, there was no retaliation, was there? Or was there? No, because no one cares. Uh, and, and this gets... I know you were you were going to I don't want to get into what you were to wanted to talk about too early but uh, again you remember the guy who you wanted to call to verify the story yeah. I think he was the only other one that was paying attention to what I was saying yeah to the substance of what I was saying mm -hmm. not the fact that I was mouthing off to the mayor yeah um, progressive taxation is kind of a left-wing left liberal concept I work, as I've told you, in an environment which is predominantly reactionary. The word tax <laughs> itself mm -hmm. is a four-letter word to these guys. I don't know where you want to add a letter in, actually. That's got to say. Whatever you I, want to do. I'm not Dan Biss, but I know that tax uh, has three letters. <laughs> don't worry about the math. That's not important. Yeah. I'm one of the few people on the job that has to use math. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah. So the idea of instituting a tax was right over their heads. Yeah. It's not that they can't comprehend it. It's just not something they're going to get behind. Um, and just an, an, as a footnote to that story, one of the solutions, it's a, it's a stopgap, but one of the solutions that was implemented for our pension crisis was to do a two-tiered thing mm -hmm. where, where I would keep getting what I was promised right. in theory.
The new hires. The new hires mm-hmm. would have to work longer yeah. and get less and pay more. Yeah. And that's how they bust a union. Yes. That's how they set up younger workers to have resentment and acrimony towards the, towards the older and, unionized leader. Yes, and the union leadership, because they're all older guys who are going to retire, and they're and part of the un, and part of the membership of our union is retirees. Mm-hmm. A huge, a decisive plurality is retirees who haven't kicked the bucket yet. Mm-hmm. So these are all the people who are okay with selling out. And I'm not trying to knock the union for doing this. Because, well, I, maybe I am, but let's be realistic. This is how unions operate. I think the Chicago Symphony Orchestra just, just did the same exactly thing. They they just, just, they just did the, did the same, same thing. thing. We've had Steve but, Uster in that chair talking for two times, uh, one of the members and, of the union. And you you were going to ask about what, what was the liberal frailty? Yeah, well, we're going to get to that. Okay. That's, uh, that's but, a Maya but topic. I, I, we'll I think it. it's, I'm not, I'm not going to knock my colleagues, my union sisters and brothers, for getting the best deal they could in this political and economic, socioeconomic mm-hmm. environment. Um, the deal that the new hires are getting isn't terrible. It's, it's better than you're going to get in some cities. Yeah. It's, that's not the point. The point is, it, this is the maneuvering they had to do to get a deal that, was, that wasn't going to be cutting our own throats yeah. completely. Well, the uh, political reality of where Chicago was, where the state of Illinois was, where the Democratic Party was in 2011, mm-hmm. uh, it had moved to the right. Uh, and uh, it, it, was, it was almost, it had come to the point uh, where Repo- Democrats were speaking on a regular basis like Republicans in the traditional standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were saying to their union uh, brothers and sisters who had supported the Democratic Party for all these years, at least the union uh, chieftains had, mm-hmm. um, we're going to take away from you. And what's, what's interesting, Sam, I always like to point this out. This, when, they, when Ron visited your uh, firehouse was about two years after all of Chicago including corporate Chicago and ROM and the political establishment was supporting Mayor Daley's Olympics. And there was more than enough money for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. They were writing a blank check for the mm-hmm. Olympics. When they didn't get the Olympics, boom, we have a financial crisis. We got to cut pensions. I, I watch it in real time. Well, that, that's, that, that keeps happening. This happens so frequently, uh, Ben. I mean, you... You talk about taxing billion, a progressive tax on billionaires, yeah. and everyone whines. Uh, the, you know, you'll you'll see opinion pieces in every major newspaper telling you how horrible an idea that is, and it's socialism, and it's it's we we can't stifle innovation. The the Notre Dame Cathedral has a catastrophic fire. How much do billionaires raise overnight? How much are they willing to give to? No, don't, and don't get me wrong. I love the cathedral. I've walked up it. It's, it was gorgeous. It's a tragic loss. But I'd rather put that repair off and get the water system in Flint, Michigan fixed first. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, actually, this is, uh, this is making me think about like, something I've been, trying, I've been interested in discussing um, with like, union folks and organizers and just to kind of uh, get people's perspective on this. I feel like there's a lot of... Uh, yeah, there's a dog. Wait, Tim, Outdoors Davenport has entered the building. I love it when my guests come early with her dog. What's the dog's name again? Mr. Precious Love. Mr. Precious also, Love. Mr. Precious Love. Name. I'm about to tweet a picture, y'all. So, <laughs> Mr. Precious Love. Name for a Jerry Butler song. So, people, I'm the only one who knows that. You know, <laughs> I feel ahead. like there's. Um, I'm curious 
what possibilities there might be in sort of uh, radicalizing firefighters. <laughs> you well, said, you know, you said that there are a lot of them are quite conservative and taxation is a four letter word. But mm-hmm. I feel like firefighters and, uh, you know, the police department uh, union sort of get lumped in together. But I wonder if there are actually things that like would the firefighters actually support the city shifting its spending priorities in a way that's that would be you know kind of different from from the cops because they're di- in, invested maybe in a different way uh in in how the city spends its money um the best way i can answer that question is to attach it to the reality of our um resident residency requirements every just about every city employee is, as far as i know every city employee is required to live within the city limits mm-hmm. now i would can almost guarantee you if that residency requirement was lifted within two years at least half the fire department would be out of the city oh yeah same thing with the police department yeah my my point being and 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 again when they retire there are very few who you'll hear saying oh i want to stay here for the rest of my life the investment in the city is tied to that employment and that's it Mm -hmm. um I, and I, admittedly, I kind of... All right, I, I am now going to defend cops and firefighters uh, on this point, so get ready for I don't this. think that you should lump them together. Well, I, I will lump or them together. do you th- feel like it's fair to lump them together? Okay, to answer, can I answer Yeah, go ahead. I was, well, I'll hold off my defense of cops and firefighters until um, you answer. The jobs are different. The demands of the job are different, and the political... But the, and I guess you could say the effect that the demands of the jobs have on the individual politics and the collective, you know, bargaining unit politics may be different. But in my observation, I, I've not met too many cops. I know I've known a few personally, but my guess is that they tend to live in the same neighborhoods. They come from the same schools. They are in the same families. Um, they coach the same sports teams. Mm-hmm. Um, the political culture, there's a lot of, it's, it's the Venn diagram is practically a circle. Mm-hmm. So while the cops have a different job, and you'll even hear firefighters half seriously say, oh, I wouldn't want that job, or, um, you know, but they politically, if you look at their breakdown of how they vote, the ones who do, it's probably very similar. Yeah, right. Um, and look at, some of our northwest side aldermen there's one who was a cop and a firefighter yeah Anthony Napolitano. Yeah. yeah and i'm gonna guess if you're i don't think there's gonna be a lot of firefighters who voted for john arena all right let me now let me defend cops and firefighters on this point um we before you came uh, on the show uh sam Dennis was doing the news and he was reading a, uh, a Sun-Times article written by Andy Shaw, mm-hmm. who used to be the head of the BGA and uh, represents sort of the classical good government approach to Chicago reform. And I, yeah, he put the air quotes up. Everybody can see it. We're on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I've been dealing with reformers in the city of Chicago since I moved here in 1981. It didn't start with Andy Shaw. There's sort of a, a worldview that reformers have. Uh, good government types about Chicago and ha- what has to be changed to make Chicago a better, more efficient city. All right. Um, I generally, I've supported them and some of their initiatives down through the years with the articles I've written. 
when I write articles that talk about the redistribution of money in the city, the way money is doled out, mm -hmm. I don't get much support from good government types. Okay, so when I write articles about our TIF program, for instance, and how it's financing upscale developments in gentrifying areas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I've been doing this for 20 years now, mm -hmm. I've never gotten a lot of support from uh, good government types. I'll get support from David them. David Orr supports you. It, uh, David Orr. Be good government yeah, Okay, type. I would say da David Orr is in a different category than, he's more of a progressive politician who uh, has connections to the Harold Washington redistribute, uh, redistribution of uh, funds. So I don't view him as the exact prototype um, of, of what I'm talking about. The, the quintessential reformer community, which has links into corporate Chicago, uh, and is about making government more efficient. All right, they're never, they're not there uh, with me when I write about, hey, this is unfair and this is a waste of money and this is taking public dollars and giving it to well, 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 rich people who don't need it. Cops and firefighters generally will support me on these. I'll get emails, I'll get texts. There was a, a cop who went before the city council wearing a Trump shirt about two weeks ago denouncing the Lincoln Yards TIF deal. I give him credit. I don't give him credit for the Trump shirt, obviously, but I give him credit for speaking out against the TIF deal. And he said, you're going to come back in two or three weeks, city council, and you won't have money for our pensions, but you got money for this. So I give cops and firefighters to a certain degree credit for drawing following this link to the way money is wasted in the city of Chicago and the way like handouts to the rich are portrayed as economic development. Right. I and I'm, you won't catch me saying that they're they're dummies, because uh, that's kind of ableist anyway. But the issue is, is the same with reactionaries. I have is the same with liberals. The issue is not that we're not capable of understanding these things. It's that we operate from a moral structure, a moral framework, which refuses to allow us to accept these things. So, a cop with a MAGA shirt knows what's going on. He knows what's happening, and he can stand up and complain about it. But when you ask him, okay, what should we do differently? That's when he's going to differ from yeah. me. It's going to be a 180. Right. So um, I, I wish you'd have been there. This was years ago at the Copernicus Center when um, there was a group of aldermen and state representatives who got together, they were invited by, I think that's how it worked, they were invited by the police unions and the fire union to discuss the pension crisis. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I couldn't resist, I went, you know, because you know what I wound up doing when they went to the Q&A. <laughs> I, I Getting in trouble again. But it was just funny, uh, my representative, Ann Williams at one point, this is just to give you an idea of, mm -hmm. of what, who was in the audience. Um, at one point she said very, it was so mild. It was like she was doing this like as a suggestion of some distant possibility in the future. You know, maybe we might want to look at things like a, a, a graduated income tax. A couple of guys in the back shouted, communist. I'm thinking, oh, my God, these, these yeah. Nazis. Communist. <laughs> and, oh, and then there was a guy who stood up and got, he got angry. Uh -huh. Not disrespectful, but he was, he was angry. He was visibly upset. Because he said that we were wasting money on the public schools. This yeah. is a guy who was looked to be old enough to have kids, maybe. Yeah. So I'm going to guess, okay, this guy, if he's got kids, he, they must be putting them in Catholic schools, like most of my colleagues. But, and he was a cop, by the way. But um, 
So yeah, it's it's one thing to recognize the game is rigged. It's another thing to say, okay, if we're going to fix this or replace it, what are we going to replace it with? What is the way to do things? And that's where the devil's in those details. Mm -hmm. Well, and the other thing I, I feel like the layers on top of this is that Yes, the game is rigged, but in the meantime, there's also the way that the city chooses to prioritize its spending, mm -hmm. you know, outside of the TIF program, like what they allocate for various city services. No one gets more money than the police department. <laughs> how, how does your budget stack up with the, with oh, the how not, does the I fire department? I don't think we're close. We're, we're, we're pretty expensive, but see, no one complains about it. Right. That. So here's my, my point. Actually, that's not true, but finish your point. So my point is that if that same person who's wearing the trump shirt who's complaining about lincoln yards you then turn around and say okay what if we take 10 15 20 percent of the police department budget and put that into mental health care and public health care services which by the way the fire department is the one that's dealing on the mm -hmm. front lines with those health care emergencies because people yeah. Are, yeah, they are yeah but well they are there because they get called out yeah. but when there's when you need an ambulance it's the fire department mm -hmm. that comes mm -hmm. you know it's it's the the pu public health functions of all the city institutions that perform public health functions, you know, I'm not, and, and I'm not talking about the Department of Public Health. I'm talking about first responders. Right. It's the firefighters that deal with mm -hmm. the health aspect of things. There are so many cops that don't even give first aid. They don't have first aid training. They don't give first aid to people they shoot. You know, so the, when, if you turned around and said to the same police officer, okay, well, here's the pool of money we're working with. What if we reallocated some of that money into, uh, you know, but more robust city-funded healthcare operations. Well, I don't think you would get an easy, you know, an easy yes from that person. I, I think, again, this goes back to the politics of the people we're talking about. Um, I have heard, and I, I'm not going to name names or locations, but I have heard on more than one occasion. You know, and the new I have to blame, add, put a little bit of the blame on the TV news because they portray certain dynamics that a certain. Um, things that are going on in our city in such a way that it makes it easy to pathologize people mm -hmm. and see them as less than human, such as the su supposed epidemic of shootings. The coverage that I see is decontextualized. It's almost like highlights from, you know, the, they may as well put it in the sports section mm -hmm. of the news because the way they say, oh, these people were shot, these people were shot, they put a camera on someone who was there, and they, you know, and they're usually not the most articulate person by, you know, uh, university standards. Also, it's the worst day of their lives. It's the exactly. They're under stress and they're coping as best they can. And I actually, I've heard people refer to the oh, those people are animals, or and and or and and again, put it in context. Maybe this these people who are saying this are suffering their own trauma. Maybe this is such a horrible human inhuman prospect and they th this is how they deal with it with gallows humor okay i'm giving them benefit of the doubt but take that for what it's worth but i've uh, you know i've even heard uh at one point there was a rash a couple of weekends where there were just a dozen shootings here 20 shootings there and then i heard oh what's the over under for next weekend you know so and these are first responders can you imagine how the cops must talk not all of them obviously but this is the these are not the people. Um, it's not our job to be mental health 
we're not a mental health care facility, mm -hmm. like you were saying. Mm -hmm. That's something. And then now you're getting, and you're also getting into what is mental illness? What causes it? Is it an individual thing or is it a societal issue? Now you're getting into other types of investment. What causes mental illness? What's causing these shootings? I never see anyone on the, on the TV news talk about that. What, what is causing this violence? Well, that's part of the problem. When we talk about the No Cop Academy. Uh, Those people are talking about that. No, though. I know, mm -hmm. but what I'm saying is that the opposition to a No Cop Academy uh, as a symbol, uh, they, spending the money on building an academy as a symbol of, of our, the, the priorities in the city, how mm -hmm. they're out of skewed. I always wanted people to talk about, well, what happens in the academy? What are we teaching cops? What are we teaching firefighters? We're, you know, to deal. It's a very difficult job that they have, right. and the pressures that they're facing are immense, and the lack of support that they're getting in general from society to, on just on mental health issues alone that you both alluded to. So, what are we actually teaching in the academy? Right, but those and, two things are inseparable because they're they're fully integrated. You can't, and I know you're not trying to, but I think we have to remember the society that. What's the term I'm looking for here? That that disinvests mm -hmm. from communities that are already marginalized, that are already under pressure. You disinvest from them. And instead of reinvesting in them, finding out what they really need and investing in that, you're building Fort Apache. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's not just a question of this is a better expenditure than this. This is diametrically opposed to what the community needs, and you're putting it right in the middle of the community. Mm -hmm. These young kids at the No Cop Academy, they understand that. Mm -hmm. And they should be getting a lot more press, in my opinion, because they, they, they understand these connections, and they'll articulate it if you ask them. But no one's asking them. Mm -hmm. Not enough people are asking them. That is Sam Holloway. Uh, Maya Tukmasova is in the, the studio as well. We got Doris Tavenport waiting to go on. She's taking copious notes. She's got a lot of ideas I'm sure she wants to espouse. We'll be right back after this. Hey there. Producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show.
Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live from the Sun-Times. Maya has left the building. Maya has left the building, but Sam Holloway has been kind enough to stick around. Uh, And Doris Davenport has joined us, an old friend of mine. Uh, going back to the days when I was on the radio, a different ra- a different position in my life, which we won't talk about. Right, D? Yeah, you were fired. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, what? Uh, I was going to be a little more subtle than that, but get out of here and don't come back. Anyway. Uh, oh, take your bull's hat. <laughs> and leave. Uh, anyway, Doris, welcome. This is the first time you've been, you actually were on here once before. Um, Remember? Actually, I was. Yeah. Yes, I was. Yes, you came. I was going to say this is the first time you've been here, but you were here once before. No, um, I like being in the chair. Yes, you like being in the chair. And uh, Doris is a talk show host in her own right. She's a political strategist in her own right. And uh, she is, she follows politics very closely indeed. So I had two general themes uh, for Doris that I instruct her to do her homework on. <laughs> Always homework. Always homework when you come on the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show. Uh, bye bye, Rom, and hello, Biden. Uh, and uh, so we'll start with the bye bye, Rom part first. Uh, I don't know if you heard, you were in, the, I don't know if you were in the room when Sam was reminiscing about his encounter uh, with Rom in 2011, so we won't review that one. Um, but uh, your general thoughts, we'll start with your general thoughts, Doris, on uh, the departure of Rom. I think it's uh, how many, two weeks away, three weeks away? Something um, like that. You mean not one day yet? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I get your general drift. Uh, so your no, general yeah, thoughts. It is. It's about um, two weeks away. And I would like to say that I am on the camp that says it's about time. Mm -hmm. It's about time. I don't think he's been a friend to the entire city. Uh, I do believe that when it comes, and I've read some of the reports out about his um, um, success and or failure. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that he was a man who came in with a vision um, for a particular segment of the community Mm -hmm. of Chicago, and he held true to that. He um, likes to use an excuse that things didn't start with him, but that he can't uh, deny that he continued those things, like uh, making sure that the black community continues to be at the bottom of the success ladder mm-hmm. um, when it comes to economic development, when it comes to employment, when it comes to contract opportunities, when it comes to education. Um, I've heard him say just before he announced that he was going to leave. He was doing an interview with someone. And he made a comment that education is his top priority. And that the one thing that he did that he was so proud of was the school, quote unquote, consolidations. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and I heard that and it, I was really appalled. I, I could not believe that this man could rate his action of closing 50 schools within a 24 hour period 
without any kind of conversations with the families that are going to be impacted, all the teachers, the administrators, the employees in all those schools, mm-hmm. putting all the kids in harm's way. Um, it re- all of the, we think about the mental illness. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, he also consolidated all the mental health um, clinics. Um, uh, he uses that word consolidation, but we have a huge mental health problem because of that action. Mm-hmm. Um, And I look at um, the billions of dollars that he's um, put into developments while the west side and the south side of Chicago continue to be underserved. Uh, I look at how he has pushed the Lincoln Yards and the Sterling Bay projects. And all that money that we gave in incentives, we gave, Mm -hmm. he authorized it, but it's our money, uh, that he gave to these projects. Imagine what could be done on the west side of Chicago. If the west side of Chicago had that kind of money for infrastructure, mm-hmm. we could bring back manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And what would that do for unemployment in the black community? Mm-hmm. And uh, when, I, when I listen to you uh, talk, I, I have to point out uh, that he was supported in many, many of these endeavors uh, by black aldermen. Yes, he was. And, you know, it's interesting because Rod Sawyer, a friend of mine who I like very much, was one of his strongest supporters. Alderman Rod Sawyer, the sixth ward. Go ahead. Yes. And he uh, narrowly won his uh, reelection bid. He was forced into a runoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was very upset about that. I think he ended up being in a runoff by three votes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But he did uh, come through. And I really believe that Rod Sawyer, coming from uh, the political family that he comes from, with all the experience that he has, I believe that a Rod Sawyer is going to be a very different alderman under Lori Lightfoot than he was under Rahm Emanuel. Explain that. Well, I, Rahm Emanuel has a very unique way of making people do what he wants you to do. And that bids well when you are an appointed Um, official, like being chief of staff for the president of the United States of America. You must remember that when um, how Emmanuel got his start was in opposition research. Um, He was the guy who sent people out to pull your garbage out of the trash can at your house to find out what was what you didn't want anybody to know. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's anything about Rod Sawyer that he would want anybody wouldn't want anybody to know, but he has a unique way of twisting people's arms. Mm -hmm. And so, however, whatever he uses to twist the arms to create a rubber stamp council, Mm -hmm. um, it might sound like the type of thing you want to hear on the television show Scandal. But just remember that the television show Scandal is based on real life. Washington, D.C., <laughs> living, political living. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and one of the things that Ron was very determined about uh, was when you talk about arm twisting, that he wanted a big vote mm-hmm. for any initiative he put forth. So it wasn't enough to yeah. win 26 to 24. Right. He needed to win 45 to 5, let's mm. say, or 48 to 2. I'm doing mm. math out of 50 aldermen. I'm really showing my... Did you bring your yeah, yeah. Bring Unbelievable math <laughs> skills by Ben Jarofsky. But, okay, he needed a big margin. It wasn't enough just to eke out a victory. Yeah. Uh, and so arms got twisted. Yeah. Uh, and so people couldn't even vote symbol- if even if they wanted to. And I'm not saying yeah. any of them wanted to. Mm-hmm. All right. So... Uh, but you're right about that because, mm-hmm. see, one thing Madigan, this is the distinction between a Madigan and an Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. Madigan will say, okay, I understand you've got to take care of your politics in your area. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to let you vote the way you need to vote with your constituents when you need to, but you better not let my bill fail when yeah, I need you. Right. 
Rom, that's 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 not even an option. All right. So, um, do you think? Uh, yeah, there's an obsession in this town. I have to say this. There's an obsession in this town with, with consensus. And so we're doing the right thing at all times. And so, like, the more people vote for something, the more it's like, we're doing the right thing. Right. Even if we're doing the wrong thing. I don't know how anybody could justify closing mental health clinics. By the way, there was an article in the Chicago Sun-Times. Maybe it was the Tribune. I can't remember where. Don't mm-hmm. quote me on which paper it was in. Uh, saying that Lori Lightfoot should not make the mistake mm. of opening up more uh, mental health clinics uh, <laughs> in neighborhoods because, and this is a mental health mm-hmm. uh, caregiver, the idea being that um, they're antiquated, uh, uh, old-fashioned, antiquated, uh, uh, antiquated, I should, that's the word I'm mm-hmm. looking for, uh, ways of dealing with uh, very complex problems, uh, and so you shouldn't segregate and separate mental health patients from other patients. It was like a justification. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm like, okay, uh, all right, if you have a more sophisticated approach to dealing with mental health issues, that's one thing. But don't allow yourself to be used right. to, to like put a nice spin that's on cutting right. mental health on services. cutting mental health services. And that's the kind of thing that Ron will do. Yeah. But you know, and I know we're, we're focusing on Ron, but I do want to say this one thing about um, our new mayor-elect, yeah. who's going to be um, uh, sworn into office in just mm-hmm. about two weeks now, yeah. if, if that long. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think she's going to fall into that trap. Now, Which I, trap? Of... of uh, with Rahm Emanuel kind of, you know, steamrolling what he wants to do without listening, without really understanding what the ramifications mm-hmm. are, even if people come to her with what sounds like it's a good idea, I believe that she is the type of person that will listen to all sides in order to make the best decision. I think she, I, I don't think she's going to shy away from making tough decisions mm-hmm. when she has to, but she appears to be the kind of person that has a heart which I feel was absolutely lacking in this uh, current administration. All right, so do you think she's going to be the type of person who could live with a 26 to 24 victory as opposed to a 47 to 3 victory? Look Look at how she won. Yes, I do. Well, she won by 75% of the vote. Well, well, yeah. well no, but I yeah. mean initially. Yeah. Initially, before. Oh, I'm talking. Right, right you're right. Where yeah. she eked out. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. I in mean, other I words, she would be more Madigan-esque in your opinion? I think she'd be more Madigan-esque. I mean, look at her now. She's doing a listening tour. I've kept my ear close to the grapevine on her community visits. Mm-hmm. And almost to the community, uh, the leaders so far, the jury is that they believe that she, if she if she willfully and intentionally decides that she's going to do the things that she's talking about, mm-hmm. she will have a lot of support. So it's really going to be based on her. And I think that people will support her tough decisions when she has to, if she proves that she's going to be fair and equitable. Mm-hmm. Doris Davenport is my guest. Sam Holloway is sticking around very patiently listening uh, and absorbing. I'm, just, I'm learning. Uh, learning. Uh, and uh, I think we'll take a break. we come back. I'll, we talked about saying bye-bye to Rom. We'll say uh, hello to Joe Biden. All Get right. your thoughts on Joe Biden, who right now is number one in the polls mm-hmm. uh, to be the Democratic uh, nominee to president and to run against Donald Trump and also ask your opinion about this editorial cartoon that I saw in the Tribune. I'd like to get both of your opinions about this editorial cartoon that I saw in the Tribune. So we'll uh, have all that on the on the agenda when we come back. The 
Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. I will do it. He says that so cool. He <laughs> does. It. He's good, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Uh, that silky smooth music means we're coming down the final stretch here, but we're not done yet. Sam Holloway's still in the studio. Doris Davenport's still in the studio. That's Sam Holloway playing the piano, by the way. No. Man, is he no. good. All right. Oh, Wait, Sam, t- I didn't By the way, uh, Doris, Sam sings. I'm not going to sing yeah, here. Come on, please. I have no accompaniment. I'm, I'm the weakest link in my group. You don't have an accompaniment? Yeah. Come on, Doris. Right. <laughs> All right, but just briefly tell folks you you you're a, uh, you took singing lessons. Yeah, I did. And you just a concert. You just did a concert. Yeah, and okay. we, I'll send you a copy of the original song we wrote. You'll like it because it's loosely based on the Jesse Smollett case. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I uh, have a copy of that. Ooh, I'd love to get your. I haven't talked to you about Jesse Smollett. Uh, I just wrote that down. Thank you for mentioning that. Uh, but the song that you actually did a Bill Withers song, I thought. Yeah, uh, lovely day. Uh, lovely day. You're not going to oh, share please. a little, but come. I know I, just one line. I had my band with me. I had you can't I sing. Lovely days in sequence. It's no, a lovely no, no, day no, here please. on the Ben Jarofsky show. Find us on Facebook at Benny J show no, I, at I, Benny J show on Twitter as well. I'm trying to bail you out here, Sam. I'm <laughs> trying to hope they change the subject. You don't have to sing. Uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter and the live stream chat. Big thank you to everybody who joined us on the live stream chat. Feel free to join us uh, tomorrow if you'd like and weigh in uh, with your thoughts on the show. Benny J show at Benny J show. All right, very good. So that was uh, a way of getting you off the hook. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he has your back there. All right, uh, so uh, Joe Biden, uh, Doris Davenport, your thoughts uh, on Joe Biden. You want to play? Do we have the, the, the tape of that, Joe no, which Biden? Which one you want? We got two of them. Uh, which one do I want? Uh, the one where Joe Biden... I got him in Pennsylvania, both of them. Well, I'll just play it. I yeah. believe that Pittsburgh and my native town of Scranton and my hometown of Wilmington and Claymont... They represent the cities and towns that made up, make up hardworking middle-class Americans who are the backbone of this nation. That's not hyperbole, the backbone of this nation. I also, uh, I also came here because, uh, quite frankly, folks, if I'm going to be able to beat Donald Trump in 2020, it's going to happen here. It's going to happen here. There are three basic reasons why I'm running for president of the United States. The first is to restore the soul of the nation. And the second is to rebuild the backbone of this nation. And the third is to unify this nation. We always do better when we act as one America. Today, 
Today, I want to speak about the second of these three, and that's rebuilding the backbone of America. And that is that we have time, uh, all my time in public life, from since I've gotten involved, I've been referred to as middle-class Joe. It's not always meant as a compliment. It's usually that I'm not sophisticated. That's why I'm middle-class <laughs> Joe. But the fact of the matter is, I'm awfully sophisticated about why, how, and who built this country. Let me say this simply and clearly, and I mean this. The country wasn't built by Wall Street bankers, CEOs, and hedge, and hedge fund managers. It was built by you. It was built by the great American middle class. Boy, Sam is into that. Man. Yeah, no, Sam's not a fan of Joe Biden. Uh, thank you very much, Dennis. All right, uh, uh, we've heard Sam on Joe Biden. I've heard my on Joe Biden. He right now is uh, number one in the polls. I know it's early, and polls can be, mm-hmm. you know, proven wrong, and lots can happen between now and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, when the first primary is held or the first caucus, but uh, you heard that uh, that speech there, Doris. How does Joe Biden strike you? You know, I love Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I, I, I understand people want change. People want something different. People want a younger version of this and a younger version of that. When Joe Biden jumped in the race, and I have not decided who I'm going to support yet, but when Joe Biden jumped in the race and made his decision final, mm-hmm. I said, now, you know, this he just represents stability. Mm-hmm. And I want... Uh, change, but I also want, and not but, and I also want stability. I was scrolling through my phone feverishly just now, and I'm, you know, this will, this will, this angers people. Every time a woman stands up and supports Joe Biden now, because the trolls are out there just listening for it. Well, I'm putting myself on the line now. I was looking for a picture to show you of Joe Biden holding me by the shoulders, where he leans in, his head is low, and he's looking in my eyes, and I'm looking in his eyes, and we're having a conversation. Jill is right there. You can see her in the picture. Joe Biden, his that, wife. Mm-hmm. His wife. Mm-hmm. And that is who Joe Biden is. Now, I'm a person. I have my own uh, Me Too stories to tell. So I am not a person who will, you know, um, in any way denigrate a woman who's got a story to tell. But the stories about him touching inappropriately and holding your hand too long, that is Joe Biden. And I know uh, I have never a woman knows the difference between a creepy kind of a feeling from a guy who's mm-hmm. trying to be sexual with you versus somebody who is being affectionate with you. And I have experienced, I'm sure Joe Biden has smelled my hair. And and and, and so what? Just I'm just saying it's a he's a fatherly yeah. Sam. He is a fatherly kind of a Wait, uh, Doris, I didn't know you you had met him. I uh, yeah, how did you I know I met him a Joe? couple of times when I worked on Barack Obama's campaign. Mm-hmm. Um I was on the finance committee for Barack Obama's campaign um when he ran the first time and um yeah, so I've met him a couple of times. And yeah. uh so in other words you're saying you don't take you're not particularly offended by the stories that have emerged. No, this is I'm, a not whole di- okay. yeah. I'm not at all offended. I'm not at all offended. About the invasion of space yeah, issues no, that he I'm has. I'm not at all offended mm-hmm. because there are many people that we know who are those kinds of people that like close proximity. So you step back, you know, um, and, and, and I get it. If it's a man versus a man and a woman talking, mm-hmm. some women feel intimidated. I have felt intimidated by men, but never by Joe mm-hmm. Biden is my point. When it comes to the issues, though, mm-hmm. I do believe that um, I, I know about all the issues that Joe Biden fought for, the Anita Hill stories and the, and the things that he did in his past. But just like Barack Obama, 
evolved on his beliefs about homosexuality Mm -hmm. um, and other leaders have evolved on other issues. So has Joe Biden. I think that when he talks about rebuilding and reunifying and restoring what we have, Mm -hmm. we need somebody that is strong and that will fight toe to toe with um, Trump. Mm -hmm. Now, is Joe Biden the one to do that above all the other candidates? I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that. But I am saying that I'm glad he's in the race. Um, I do wish him very, very well. And I'm not surprised that he's at the top of the pack. You know, and and to a large degree, we had this long conversation with Maya earlier in the show. Uh, We were talking about how voters don't always uh, zoom in on uh, issues or a candidate's uh, position papers. That there's some kind of connection uh, that that, uh, successful candidates uh, make with voters and that enables them to get uh, elected often despite mm-hmm. their position papers or yeah. uh, lack thereof. Uh, so when you hear Joe Biden uh, make that address and make that appeal, do you feel that kind of connection? Yes, I do. I feel um, cared for. I feel safe. I feel like he is um, authentic. I feel like he will do the things that he says he's going to do. I feel like he is absolutely disgusted with what is going on in Washington, D.C. right now. Mm-hmm. I do believe that he feels that he has that our country has been assaulted and that we are all under this. You know, I have a Bible that has a, a little ebb and flow of where the moral compass is of of the um, of our world, and I think that if we'd had that kind of uh, mapping going on with our presidencies, we would be at an all-time low right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just in terms of the conduct of the president of the United States. Yes. Yes. Okay, I I'm going to take issue with that because I'm reading currently reading a book about uh, the slave the illegal slave trade in uh, Cuba and how our nation's wealth was originally built off of not just slave labor and genocide of the Native Americans, but after independence, uh, we were directly involved in smuggling slaves from the west coast of Africa to Cuba, and we continued that triangle of trade, even though even we declared it illegal. Long story short, all the presidents who were in office while this was going on knew exactly what was going on. They increased the size of the U.S. Navy to protect it from the British. Um, we're talking about a country where the earliest presidents were slaveholders. Uh, and again, George, the first president, I could show you, I, we don't have time now, but I could show you a letter he wrote to the commander of his military forces instructing him to begin a genocidal campaign against Native Americans in the West of what the country was at the time. So to suggest that Donald Trump is a departure from president's past. I mean, the, I, 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 I wasn't old enough to be aware of what was going on in the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. That happened in my lifetime. And not long before I was born, the Korean War, another horrible act that this country committed by presidents. So I am not convinced that Joe Biden, based on the wars that he's approved of, and the things that he's, the policies that he helped to author, which have put so many people behind the eight ball financially and in prison, because mm-hmm. he was an, arch- an architect of both the crime bill and the current, our current drug policy. He was a, vo- a vociferous supporter of these things. So I'm, maybe he's evolved. 
I haven't seen that. I, I've, oh, I just heard a snippet of a speech which sounded very vague to me, even if it was sincere. The cartoon you showed us. Well, we'll get, we'll get okay. into that. But Doris, what's your thoughts when you hear Sam yeah, say? Yeah, well, we can't we can't ignore our history. But I would say that at that time, the majority of the country supported those actions of the president. Um, what makes this president so egregious to me, his actions, is because we have such large portions of our country now who agree with everything that's probably in that book, um, and yet he's still trying to take us back to the very places that you're reading about. Right, and, and I have a, I, you touched on something earlier uh, about, and I, I'm gonna just use the term, because this is the term I thought of, whatever it was you were talking about, bipartisanship. And to me, the most terrifying and horrifying things that this country does are the things that the Democrats and Republicans agree on. And the Iraq war was, was one. Um, currently, we're, I was, this was what I was doing before I came here. I was on Twitter watching all the journalists I follow and what have you follow this coup that's being attempted in Venezuela right now. Oh, yeah. um, this is, a, this is a, the Trump administration's authoring it. But I'm not hearing any pushback at all from any leading Democrats. As a matter of fact, the, the, the uh, assault that we sort of helped conduct on Syria, that was a bipartisan affair. So the, as far as I'm concerned, and we've talked about this before, Ben, not on, on your show, but it, um, to me it seems like the biggest problem with Trump is his breaches of etiquette, not so much his policies, but his breaches of etiquette. He's not polite. He's sure he's an open racist. He so says the quiet things out loud. you think his policies about the immigrants are okay? You think well, his policies about Muslims being banned to travel are okay? Uh, no, I'm not saying they're okay. I'm saying they're not departures from what was happening before. All the good work and, pol- and, and new policies that were put into make housing more affordable, pushing that back for another two or three years well, so it doesn't poli- have to be dealt with until the well, next generation the gets Obama administration, okay. The Obama administration. That's a bit administration, more than etiquette. Right. Yeah, the no, Obama th- administration deported more people and locked up more people than any presidency before it. What Trump has done before has just, it. What Trump has done But he is never not a separated departure. families. Yes he did. There there are families No, that, those, that was not part of the Obama immigration prisons that Trump is using. Families. A lot of those were built and and activated under Obama. Well we'd have to do our research and really go to we can talk about that because everything that I have read is that the Obama policy did not include separating families and putting people in cages. And and openly celebrating it. See, here here's and where I. But that's what I'm talking about. Etiquette. Well, I'm saying yeah, but I think it, the policies I think, are there, are not have not changed that substantially. They've just been dialed oh, up, and they're no. openly celebrating it. Yes, but we're not talking about a radical departure. I I would say this. I would say okay. this. I would say that when it, it's specifically with immigration, uh, that the, the Obama administration did not know how to deal with this very difficult, thorny issue of people coming in across the border uh, and uh, just uh, without going through the proper channels that had been set up for uh, the control of immigration. Now, personally, my personal opinion, I tend to be a little more on the libertarian side of these things than most conventional politicians. That's why I'm not elected to anything. But there's a big difference between not knowing what to do about a situation Mm -hmm. and then openly uh, manipulating 
making yeah. it. So you inflame people. Yes. You turn people against each other. You play blacks against whites and blacks against Hispanics, et cetera, et cetera. I've seen this happen since Donald Trump got was uh, announced. Uh, he was running in 2015, and I think it's a very serious and dangerous thing that he's doing, the language he uses. So I think when you use the word etiquette, you're sort of um, – minimizing the destructiveness of what Donald Trump has done. The coarseness. The etiquette, it's Obama, not Trump. But What's that? If anybody deserved that label of etiquette, you know, having no. it be, you, he tried to do the right thing, and he always had a moral compass about those things that he was doing. He didn't want to hurt families. He didn't deliberately want to try to create these policies that force people to do what he wanted them to do. He tried to have a comprehensive system. You're talking about uh, Barack Obama. Obama. Yeah. He I, just make sure that okay. I don't want to try to see in, inside Obama's heart, but based. But what I'm getting at is he was, but Obama was a very smart man. He surrounded himself with presumably very smart people. Uh, to say that he did not know what to do about the immigration problem, maybe not, but I doubt it. I think the solutions to the immigration problem, such as we want to call it a problem, were things that he would never was never going to touch because the problem. What are the is, solutions that you the think the problem of our immigration is the border itself? The border exists not to stop the flow of capital, but to stop the flow of people. So when capital is moved in such a way to make people desperate, to exploit people, back and forth it goes over the border in, in these imaginary realms, uh, electronic realms. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But the people are, yeah, I are I, forced to stay. Uh, yeah, it's not, I wouldn't say that it's capital, although I get your point, but I absolutely, it, it still goes back to policy. I mean, we can't ignore what NAFTA did, right? Um, it, it's, Signed it's, by Bill Clinton. Well, that's exactly right. And um, that's why if he was running, I would not be supporting him. But it NAFTA really put a, a monkey wrench in so much. NAFTA, in my opinion, was one of the that and the drug policies um, are the are the 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 nails in the coffin for blacks when it came to unemployment and economic mm -hmm. development. Yeah, we were, uh, it's funny, I was just thinking about this because um, I don't know if, well, you guys obviously know this, uh, John Singleton died mm -hmm. uh, at age 51 years old, very young, and he was the director of Boys in the Hood. And Boys of the Hood was one of the first times that I was ever exposed to the notion, there's a scene in Boys in the Hood, uh, I think it's Lawrence Fishburne, don't quote me on that mm -hmm. one, uh, is talking about how the influx of drugs is into uh, the black community in Los Angeles yeah. is actually controlled by the government. I yeah. remember that scene. Yeah, where I, do. And I do. <laughs> and I believe it because, it, it, like you said, Sam, we have so many smart people in this country and in leadership all around the United States of America. And if we wanted to eradicate the drug problem mm -hmm. and all of the many implications around the drug problem, we would do it in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. But we models. don't want to because right. it's part of our capital system. And the people who are managing that system and benefiting Oh, my goodness, a part of the 1%. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, uh, before I let you get out of here, you said you wanted to talk about marijuana. You had a different take on it, I think, than I do, Doris Davenport. Uh, the libertarian in me, legalize it right now. You know, let's, uh, we can worry about the details later. But that's the libertarian in me, which would never, who would never get elected anything. The same guy who says, you know what? I don't, 
let's just open those borders up. All right, the libertarian in me. Uh, Sam's laughing, but there's a little streak of libertarianism in me. Uh, I just saw in the paper today that uh, Kelly Cassidy, who comes on the show frequently, good friend of the show, uh, they're putting the final touches. I think it's a 300 page, I want to say. Don't Three, 400 pages. Yeah, but yeah. there's an enormous uh, bill, which of course. the Mueller report. Yeah, <laughs> I hope it's written a little better. Uh, and uh, uh, a 300 to 400 page bill uh, dealing mm-hmm. with the legalization of marijuana. I cannot believe this is happening in my lifetime. I've, if, 10 years ago, I, I definitely didn't uh, foresee this. Uh, you have uh, some basic uh, concerns about this? Talk yeah, about that. Yeah, I do. Uh, um, I'm really, really nervous and scared about legalizing marijuana. I think that the kids and the young people that are going to be most negatively impacted by this are the black and brown kids. Um, the science shows that over time, your uh, short-term and long-term memory are impacted by the use of marijuana. Um, I am very nervous about knowing that I'm going to be driving every day on the highways and the byways, and there will be people driving alongside (laughs) as high as a kite. And how is that going to be regulated? What does that mean for my insurance? What does it mean for their insurance? And I think one of the other big issues is that we're pushing this only to generate revenue. That is the reason. I understand people say it's about criminal justice reform. I don't see that because... You have these people who have the licenses, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to make a lot of money on those licenses. But when you look at what what are the what I what I would like Kelly Cassidy to come forward in public and talk about is what are the assurances that she's putting in that bill mm-hmm. to ensure that the workers that are going to be employed by the people that have licenses are going to be able to have unions for themselves, that they're going to be able to Um, get paid fair wages, that they're going to be able to live in conditions that are going to be, you know, where they can uh, grow a family, Mm -hmm. um, and that that there's going to be parity. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm nervous about all that. I got to tell you, and and I'm going to bring you back with Kelly Cassidy. I would love to see the debate between you and Kelly Cassidy on this particular. Can can I I just want to add, I want to see the people who've been locked up for possession and for dealing let out right away. And not only that, but they give them first crack at the licenses because they've had much of their life stolen. Yeah. Give it, yeah, give yeah. them the chance to make money off of something they were mm-hmm. wrecked over. Uh, and uh, absolutely the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes again, I'm going to give a shout out to John Singleton, uh, boys yeah, in the hood, 1991. And he was already uh, ch- pointing mm-hmm. this out. Yes, the war on drugs was having a direct impact in the neighborhood in South central yeah. Los Angeles that he was chronicling uh, with that early movie. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, I think it's, it's a uh, high time, no pun intended. I guess the pun was intended <laughs> that we end this. I see what uh, you did there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Some weed joke. Yeah. It's a weed joke. You know, I cannot talk about reefer, uh, we'll Doris Davenport without making a joke about it. We'll allow it. Uh, all right. That's thank fine. you very much. That is Sam Holloway. Uh, Doris Davenport, uh, is also in the studio. I want to thank both of you for coming in and being so patient nice with each other and sharing the mic. If you don't see eye to eye on absolutely everything. That would be really Nice, nice. Guest hug. So a lot of love in this studio right now. And by chance, I I can't believe it. The first time Sam was on my show, it wasn't even my show. Wasn't I hosting? Was was it Dick K? Was it Dick? I can't remember who I was guesting. Yeah, I know you were filling in. Yeah, I was filling for someone. Uh, 
the the great the legendary Delmarie Cobb was oh, on. Yes. I swear I did not do that. I was but I went, listening oh, to you guys debate. I was like having a flashback. Delmarie Cobb telling Sam how wrong he was about Hillary Clinton. Oh, okay, I, I so you're trying to tell him how wrong he is about Joe Biden. I'm like, oh my God! It's I swear, Sam, it's not intentional. I don't. Well, no, no. That, that looks if that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I swear. The same way. And, uh, what's that? Let's hope it doesn't end up. The yes, same way. let's so hope. Four that, years of Trump. Uh, yes. All right. There we go. I think we'll all agree on that <laughs> no. one. All right. Sam Holloway, Doris Davenport, Maya Dukmasova. Uh, who else has been this to uh, Miles, our uh, office editor, wow. doing a great job as always. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The ladies all love him for his body and mind. Spinning out. No one says that. Okay. <laughs> no women say that. <laughs> Dr. D, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Thanks. Hey, live streamers. If you missed any part of today's program, do not worry. It'll be available for download. I'd say give me till 4 o'clock, all right? I'll have it up for download. You can listen to whatever part of the program you missed. Hey, downloaders. You know we live stream this show, right? Yeah, we do. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Join us. It's a fantastic time. This guy, Steven, just like puts in millions of comments. They're great comments, by the way, Steven. Big big fan of Sammy is. Head over to the live chat and uh, join us live. It's a fantastic time. Oh, at Benny J Show on Twitter, at Benny J Show on Facebook. Find us. We'll talk to you soon.